So it's an honor to be able to actually have the time to share with you this morning. It's such um, a cool thing. I feel like we're in, walking in a miracle with this church and this church family. I literally cry every week on Monday. <laughs> it's so awesome. It's just the faithfulness in, of God and bringing you all together and having you just say, I'm all into this. I'm excited about what God's doing in this city, in this season, in this community, and I want to be part of it. That is humbling to us because God could have picked anyone, and it's such an honor that uh, Kurt and I get to do this thing. Sometimes I can't believe we're in charge. I don't know, but it's awesome. We're excited about it. Um, so... My message this morning is dovetailing along the lines of Kurt's uh, series that he started last week on identity. He really got into grace and talking about um, the how much mores of God that are in Romans 5. And I don't know if you guys remember that Indiana Jones video he played um, when they're, they're driving in that... Um, <clears throat> that little train cart in the mine and it gets out of control and the brakes are out and so Indiana Jones because he's so awesome climbs out and uses his feet to like be the brakes and there's all that friction and his foot almost catches on fire and then he gets done and he's like oh water water and his feet are all hot and then he looks up and there's what this huge river of like this torrent of water just flying at him down the barrel and he's running and then they get out to the next place and then that water is like gushing from the other direction and overtaking him and all he needed was just a little bit of water and um, that was the illustration we were talking about with our sin and with the need to be forgiven we just need that one sin to be covered right but then Romans 5, it talks about the how much more is like this crazy, way over the top, uncomparable abundance of the river and the forgiveness and the mercy of God that would actually overtake us. That is the grace of God. Amen. So I just wanted to remind you of that because I liked it and I have the microphone. So there you go. All right. But I do, before I get into my message, I do have a question. There is a right answer, just so you know. Um, some people are book people and some people are movie people. Once you think about it, how many of you would prefer the movie version? Okay, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. And how many of you are book people? Okay, that is the right answer. It is actually books. Um, just so you know, this is um, not actually in the Bible, but it should be, because it's true. Um, books are better because movies give you like the microwave version, and people are complicated, right? You want to learn their journey. There's layers to us. There's, there's the bad times. There's the good times. There's the motivations of what drives us. And I don't think with a movie, you can really fall in love in like 90 minutes, okay? Takes a little bit more of that, a little, a little more time than that. So as I look through the Bible, I am a reader, and I love, I love stories. I love to, to watch people's character develop over time. I love when they're complicated and they seem like a jerk, but they're really deep inside and they're wounded and, you know, like those are driving things. And so um, as I study the Bible, there is a, there's a story that really intrigues me because I feel like our view of it is like the microwave TV version of the story, and we look at this Bible character through the lens of like their worst moment but if you read the Bible in more than just that chapter, you see this person's character develop into something that was actually really cool over time. How many of you are book people now? Okay, right? <laughs> Sold you on it. Um, the story I want to focus on today, and the title of my message is Grace from Plan B to Plan A. And I'm going to talk to you about someone you probably don't hear a lot about from the pulpit, and that person is Bathsheba. What? She's a shady little 
lady. <laughs> right? She, I don't know about her in church, okay? So some people are new to the word of God and Bible stories, and so this will be fun to introduce you to something. Some of you guys know her story for what she's known for, right? And she um, was living, I'm going to just kind of set this story up. You'll find it in 2 Samuel 11. If, if you want to turn there, go for it. For time's sake, I'm going to just paraphrase it. You okay? Check the word of God. Every time someone talks on the microphone, you should probably make sure it's good. But um, if you'll trust me, I'm just going to tell you the story. So I'm going to set this up, the life of Bathsheba. Her story starts in 2 Samuel 11. And she was basically living a pretty good life. She was living her plan A. She was living in Jerusalem and Israel during the um, king reign of King David. And she was married to a really great guy. His name was Uriah the Hittite. And he was one of David's mighty men. And so he, um, in the context of the story, was away fighting for Israel. And he was one of, one of the like best warriors that David had. And he was an awesome guy. So she had a great husband and a great life. And then in comes another character, who is King David. And King David... Um, it says right in the beginning of the chapter that, that, that in the springtime when this happened, that it was the time when the, the men and the kings were at war. And so there was a war happening, but King David at this point of his life was pretty successful and pretty comfortable. And so for whatever reason, he chose to stay home in the palace and let those guys go fight for him. And so he was basically where he wasn't supposed to be. He stayed home. Okay. And it says that he could, he was up one night walking around the rooftop and he uh, actually from his roof saw a beautiful woman bathing. And so he looked at her and said, I think I want her. Um, and so he asked about her and that woman was Bathsheba. And he sent someone to find out about her and found out that she was actually married to uh, Uriah, who was one of his main guys. And he was above the law, and he was the king, so he said, I want her anyway. So she was brought to him, and he slept with her and then uh, sent her away. And then shortly after that, she found out she was pregnant. And so she sent word to David and said, I am expecting a baby. Good story so far, right? It's like a movie. There's layers. There's layers, guys. So there's this situation. So David has an opportunity to who knows what to do. Um, but he decides he's going to try to pass that baby off as the, the, the husband's. So he calls for Uriah to come back from war. And he thinks, hey, this guy's been with the dudes for a long time. He's probably going to want to see his beautiful wife. And this will work out great because that will be the first thing he'll do when he gets home, right? And so um, the amazing thing is that, that the, the man Uriah, um, it says that he came to the home and he, he wouldn't even go into his own house. He slept outside because while his men were fighting, he was so loyal that if those men can't be with their wives, he wasn't going to be with his either. That's how much he was loyal to that king and country. And so the next night, David's like, I'm going to up the ante. So he actually gets Uriah drunk and has him over for dinner and thinks, oh, okay, his defenses will be down. He's going to go do it. It'll be great. And we'll pass this baby off as, as Uriah's. Second night, even under the influence of alcohol, Uriah is still a man of, of integrity and would not go in and sleep with his wife because of his loyalty to Israel and his king. So... That's that part of the story. Then um, what happens is David thinks, okay, we're going to have to up the ante here. So he writes a letter, sends it with Uriah, sends Uriah back to war, 
and Uriah gives the letter to Joab, who is the commanding officer, and the letter said, put Uriah out in the front where the fighting is the most fierce and intense, and back up right when it's most intense so he will be struck down and killed. Yeah, so kind of horrible. So that's exactly what happened. They, they did that. They followed through with it, sent word back to David and said, okay, we did it. Uriah is dead. And then the Bible said that Bathsheba mourned for a period. And then David actually took Bathsheba as a wife and she moved into the palace. And then that baby died. This is a really good story, huh? Aren't you guys glad you came to church? <sighs> Don't you feel better about your life? I just wanted to bring some encouragement to you this morning. <laughs> so God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. <laughs> okay. Okay, so there's obviously this progression of sin, and it, it's, it's devastating, right? And the, the thing about it, how many of you have that one friend who when you're messing up, they're, they're hearing from God, and they're like, what's up with you? I don't think you're being who you're supposed to be, right? There's that friend, and it's, it's that friend. And, and God shows um, what happened in this situation to a prophet, and it was the prophet Nathan. And Nathan found out from God what David had done, and he actually went and confronted King David. And he said, hey, God sees this, and he's not pleased with what you did. And in that moment, David repented, and David took responsibility for what he did. And that is the moment I, I really want us to see through the lens of, okay, uh, this, is, this is the intriguing thing to me with Bathsheba. This is why it's interesting. is because, okay, there's murder and there is the death of a, of a child and there's a result of this just sin. But the weird thing is, is the Bible doesn't give the motive of Bathsheba's heart. You're like, why was she up there in the first place? That little seductress lady, what was she doing up there, you know? So some of us assigned to her that she was trying to entice the king. She was up there. Well, there is actually another school of thought with her motive that it says she was actually purifying, her from, uh, purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. And maybe she expected that David wasn't going to be there because he wasn't supposed to be there. And in Israel, the um, baths are actually on top of the roofs because they use solar energy to heat the water. And so that's actually part of their culture is that that's how the baths are. So there could be this thing of she didn't think he was watching her, and he ended up victimizing her and taking her. And how many of you know with a powerful king, that's kind of hard hard place to be as a woman in that day and age to, to pass that up. So we don't know if she was a victim or a perpetrator right? We don't know. It's really interesting. And I find that the reason we can relate to her is because I'm talking to a room of victims and perpetrators. Huh? Stay quiet up in here. <laughs> How many of you are victims and perpetrators? We all are. Our motives, God knows our motives, but the, uh, the result of sin is disgusting, death, destruction, pain, loss, tragedy, Either way. And that's why the life of Bathsheba kind of strikes a chord in my heart, because it's like, who knows this woman's story? But man, this is terrible. And, um, you know, many of us have had the loss of a child. Some of us have been abused or taken advantage of. Some of us have willingly dabbled in uh, seducing or adultery and those kinds of things. And, and some of us are just from a straight-up dysfunctional family. Huh? 
<laughs> and it is not your fault. <laughs> so Bathsheba's life went from this nice little plan A to this plan B where she's got to pick up the shambles of her life and try to figure out um, how to move forward. And this is where I want to talk to you guys about the grace of God coming into our plan B and making a plan A. Because the Bible says in Romans 5, and we're going to put it up here and we're going to look at this a little bit, that where sin abounds, that grace much more abounds. I really want to hone in on this because it says where sin did abound. So if you guys turn to Romans 5.20, if you want to look at this, you're welcome to. If you want to scroll to it, you can scroll to it. Um, the place of our wound and our pain and our, our, our tragedy is the very place where God wants to pour out grace in our lives to heal us and to make it better than it ever was before. Can you guys believe that? And I'm going to show you that with Bathsheba's life and even with my own life. So the first part there, um, where, not the, where the law entered, but we're going to talk about the second part, where sin abounded. That word abounded there is a Greek word that I cannot say. I think it's pleonazo, yeah? It just means more. And this word in the Greek, it speaks about it actually as like gradually growing and increasing. So how many of you know with sin, that's the way it goes? I told you that progression of David. He first, what did he do? He looked at her. And then he had this ego of like, I can do what I want. I'm going to take her. And he had this pride in his heart of, I can just take this woman. And then he commits adultery with her. And then he tries to cover it up and lie and hide it. And then he ends up being a party to committing murder. That is that more. It's this like increase of sin. And we see this in our world. We see the laws that are being passed that are totally ungodly and it's discouraging. And you're like, man, it feels like sin is just increasing. And that's that word there, where sin abounds. That is the, not the end of the sermon, okay? <laughs> that is not the end. So the second part is this. Paul talks about the, um, the, the grace did much more abound. And this word is really awesome. It's called hooperparesio. And listen, I'm not a, not a scholar, but I know a little Greek and I know a little Hebrew. And one of them owns a restaurant and one owns a jewelry store. Okay. You are welcome. You've been waiting to hear this, haven't you? All right. It'll change your life. That's probably the only thing you'll remember. Okay, so that word, though, uh, at the end of this, where the grace superbounds. The, the picture I gave you at the beginning when, when I talked about Pastor Curry's illustration from last week with the Indiana Jones thing, you just need this, this covering for sin to keep it at bay is what we think in our head. Like, I just need forgiveness for this thing. And the grace of God superabounds so much that it would change our DNA and make it even better than it would have been before. He makes us new creations in Christ Jesus, and it is crazy the way his grace can come in. And he, it's like a flood that tor just, you, you think that like God's love is like a stream and it's a gentle river, and I just get in it and I feel good. And it's like, no, he actually is going to annihilate sin in your life, and he's going to destroy everything that is not of him because he wants his love and his life to flow in you so much that you look like heaven. You look like him, and that flow is just flooding over you, and it doesn't just change you. It changes other people because they're like, that person is not that great. That is the grace of God. That is the grace of God. That in spite of us, 
we look like a genius. It's so crazy <laughs> because that's how good his grace is. So I'm just going to talk to you a little bit more about Bathsheba, about just the the bigger picture of her story. Like I said, we look at that little microwave tragedy stuff. But God, if you look through um, uh, 2 Samuel into Chronicles and into even um, Solomon's books, you can see God changing things with her life. And one thing that you can see is that... Um, the bloodline of Jesus found in Matthew 1.6. So Jesus is our Savior. Are we on the same page? Okay, that's all you need to remember. Jesus is our Savior. And it talks about his genealogy in Matthew 1. And in, in genealogies in the Bible, it mostly just mentions men. And so uh, the, the genealogy of our Savior Jesus, think about all the people who have lived in the human history. Bathsheba is mentioned in the bloodline of Jesus. He wasn't like, ew, she sinned, and she had a dysfunctional thing happen, and murder happened in her family. Ew. He actually brought her close and was like, I'm going to identify that woman in my bloodline, and I'm proud of her, and she's going to be listed in the Bible, which is this, the, the eternal word of God. That's how powerful Jesus felt toward Bathsheba's life, that he would include her. I'm telling you, how many of us feel ashamed like God would distance himself from our family and us? But he would say, nope, I'm actually proud of you. I'm going to keep your name remembered before me because that's how good my grace is toward you. Yep. I know it's good because it's true. God is so good. Um, the, the, um, the other thing that is really powerful about ways that we see redemption and God's grace flooding over in Bathsheba's life is through her son Solomon. So it says in 2 Samuel um, 12, 24, so after this tragedy where they lost their first son, um, David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her. And she gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon, and the Lord loved him. Because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedediah. So this is beautiful because this, the next son with David and Bathsheba was Solomon. And David named him Solomon, which means peace. And it is a prophetic name because the reign of Solomon was a reign of peace all around. He was the most wise king. He was the most successful, wealthy, uh, wise king that ever lived. And so, of course, his name was Peace. But it says that actually his name, according to God, was Jedediah. That was the name that the Lord saw Solomon as. And Jedediah means beloved of the Lord. Okay. God loved that boy. He loved the baby that was born in this tragedy. He loved that baby. And guess what? Solomon was not in line to become king. He actually had that grace and that flow and that mercy and that forgiveness so much that it put him outside of what was right, and he became the heir to the throne because God loved that boy through David and Bathsheba. That is the grace of God. He wasn't the oldest son, and it's beautiful. So... Um, and you guys know Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and Song of Solomon, right? He did. It's true. And um, Ecclesiastes basically talks about life is meaningless without God, right? You can have everything in life. You don't have God. You've got nothing. And that's, um, that's a beautiful story. And then the book of Proverbs, I find this interesting because Solomon talks about his mom, Bathsheba, teaching him everything he knew. 
that his mother and father, these dysfunctional people, created a culture in their house of wisdom. They actually took their dysfunction and they made a new thing with the grace of God. I think when David repented and turned his heart to God, it unlocked this torrent of destiny to, to this family. And we receive from it today. And um, when David and Bathsheba sinned, how many of you guys remember um, Psalm 51, created me a clean heart, O God? You know that song? And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O God. Renew, remove not your Holy Spirit from me. What is the last part? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. That is the prayer that David prayed when he was caught. Okay, he said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me and return to me the joy of my salvation. And I think that was the switch. That was the only thing that they needed to unlock this flow of grace. And you know what's crazy about David? Is David was in the old covenant before we even had access to the blood of Jesus. But he had a heart that understood God, that he just knew, you are after my heart, and I'm going to do what's right, and I'm going to ask for forgiveness, and I believe that you're going to forgive me. And later in Psalm, uh, Psalm 51, it talks about, if you wanted all my sacrifices and all my good works, I would do that, but that's not what you want. It says, you wanted a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and you will never deny that. How many of you have ever had a broken heart and a contrite spirit? <laughs> you will never deny that. God is attracted to brokenness and humility when we come to the end of ourselves because he looks like a genius with our lives. So he took these people that blew it, and he actually weaved the story of the book of Proverbs, which is our go-to to learn how to live our lives. Does that blow your mind? Like these yahoos that screwed up are, I'm sorry, that's disrespectful. I do respect them. I'm sorry. Just, um, but that this book, and not only do we glean our wisdom from the book of, of Proverbs, but um, in Proverbs 31, there is the, the verses on the, the wife of noble character and the ideal woman. And um, this was influenced actually through Bathsheba. And it says that these were sayings taught to, to King Lemuel, which was a pet name that Bathsheba called Samuel. This is what scholars believe, because it's, it's like a pet name, and it just means like the son I love. And it says that the Proverbs 31 story was influenced from Bathsheba through Solomon for the ideal woman of character. Come on, is that grace or what? Like we looked at her and we're like, I want to be like her. But if you knew it was Bathsheba who had adultery and murder and sin in her life, would you be like, she's my role model. I want to be just like her. So that's the grace of God. And that was even outside of the new covenant of the blood of Jesus. How much more do we get a new start and a new story with our lives and our family in destruction? We are in a setup of his torrent of grace. And I just want to share a little bit about my, my little story of my journey and some of how this relates to my life. You guys doing okay? Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. Um, I just want to share a little bit about my own journey in this. And when I share, the Bible says that love uh, 
remembers, never takes in remembrance of, of wrong, right? We don't keep accounts of, of things that happen to us because we release people, right? So when I share a story about something painful in my life, I don't want it to, to be like, oh, she's keeping an account of wrong and holding this. I want this to be in the spirit of a testimony in my life of redemption. So you'll hear me talking about something that was a bummer, but it's good now, right? <laughs> okay. So um, I was raised in a Christian home, and I loved Jesus since I can remember. And, um, but over the course of time, my family would move around a little bit because my dad would get promoted and we'd get job transfers. And so over the course of my life, we moved a little bit and just lost touch with a local church family. And then just in that, sometimes your values kind of slip and you just kind of look like public school, you look like your environment, right? If you don't have a good influence in your life, it just, it happens. That's the way sin abounds, right? So when I was in high school, I started noticing some weird things with my mom, and she, something was going on with her, and she was going through some depression and some um, weird stuff. She was probably in her 40s, and um, she just kind of would shut down, and she'd, I'd come home from school, and she'd just want to watch TV and kind of zone out and um, not connect, and it was some stuff going on inside of her that she was hurting. And then what happened that kind of broke things open was she uh, got in an accident when she was rollerblading. So this gives you context. It's not a news story if she was rollerblading. <laughs> Apparently rollerblading's not very cool anymore. I don't know. I think it's awesome. Um, so she fell down, going down a hill, and she slipped, and she broke one wrist, sprained her wrist, broke her tailbone, all in one thing, right? Yee! So that was the bummer. And she was prescribed some pain meds. And so those pain meds became, and I'm, listen, if you need to pay, take a pain med, it's fine. If your soul's not in a good place, it could be a little dangerous. Um, and her heart was not in the greatest place of the season. It kind of opened the door for some drug use. And so it opened the door for some alcoholism and, you know, smoking weed. And then pretty soon she's doing coke. And then pretty soon she finds out crystal meth is cheap. So, and it feels really good. So my beautiful mom, who taught me everything I know about Jesus in her 40s, started becoming a full-on crystal, crystal meth addict. That was pretty crazy, right? So um, through this journey, um, she left, and of course there's just this wake of pain, right, when somebody makes choices like that. And um, in that season, I really started getting my heart connected to Jesus and church, and my, my church family became like a family to me, and it was my safe place. And while I was giving my heart to Jesus, um, I had a dream one night. And in the dream, I actually saw my mom when she was young, and she was pregnant with me, and it looked like she was about eight months pregnant. And I saw her laying her hands on her belly, and I knew she was praying for me, when, um, when she was pregnant with me, and I saw that, and I felt like, whoa, I'm having a dream of my mom that she's praying for me. And I woke up, and when I woke up, I felt the Lord speak to my heart and said, the only reason you are in this place that you are is because your mom prayed for you. That mama prayed for me. And so the weird thing is, is like, she set me up to be in this place of blessing, and she's not, and I was like, what? What it did is it got me off my dang high horse and gave me some humility and some compassion. And the Lord said, now I want you to pray for her, okay? And so I start viewing her through the lens of mercy and grace and saying, God, this isn't okay. This isn't who she is. I'm going to pray. And it took years. I'm telling you, like, gut-wrenching, <laughs> ugly cry, 
horrible years because sin is a thief. Okay? It destroys where it can. And I um, prayed. So um, I think she was in this life of like three and a half years or something and came to a place where she ended up getting clean and sober. And I think she's been clean and sober probably like 15 years. Yeah? It's amazing. Yeah? <laughs> so awesome. And, and I want to just say this to you because our relationship before was not good. But now, on the other side of this forgiveness and this mercy and this journey, she is my first phone call. She is the closest person to me. I don't just trust her. Like, I have her fly out, stay with my kids while I leave town because she is fine and she is healed and she loves Jesus. Like, she is restored. <laughs> is that awesome? Come on. And the cool thing about her is she's worked in recovery. Um, she worked in recovery in Florida a lot, um, bringing people out of stuff and becoming like a sponsee for people. And now she lives in Texas. And um, our oldest daughter, Trinity, has autism. And my mom actually works with autistic kids down in Texas. And so there's just this like torrent of God has got a plan. And what the enemy took, we're taking back and then some and setting other people free through this dang sin. Come on. And the other beautiful picture that God gave me of my mom is that verse in Luke 7, 47. And it's speaking of a woman who is sinning. It says, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. And I'll tell you what, if you've been forgiven, you love some people and you have some grace for their stuff. And if you've been forgiven little, you probably are a little bit of a stinker and you think everyone is an idiot. But when you know you've been forgiven much, you love much, and you have patience and grace with people, and that is the heart that my mom has. And it is crazy. Her capacity to love is bigger because of her capacity to understand the grace of God. It's beautiful. So I just want to wrap up by saying this. Was it God's plan for Uriah to be murdered? Was it God's plan so we could have the book of Proverbs? We needed all this bad stuff to happen. Was it God's plan to say Emily's relationship with her mom um, needed to happen so she needed to go ahead and do meth and like leave her family and have a divorce and all this stuff happen? Was that the best plan? No, that's not God's plan. God does not lead us into temptation. But in spite of that, we can't look at ourselves and be like, we're so awesome. Look what we did to fix this thing. His grace came in because he loved so much. And in the, pace of our or the place of our pain and the place of that destruction, his grace abounded so much because he just loves us. And that's what he does is he just abounds and he gets all the glory and all the credit for every good thing in our lives. And we just stand by and we're like, I'm sorry, God. I'm not going to do that. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. And then you watch him flood your life, and it's way beyond what you could have ever imagined. It's beyond anything you can imagine. I could just bawl my eyes out thinking of the goodness of God toward me, you know? And this is just a little story. We all have stories. I'm sure you guys are thinking of the messes and the, the beauty that God pours out on our lives. And I just want us to think, and some of us are in that mess right now, okay? Some of you right now... You are a victim to something that's not okay, and some of you are being the perpetrator, and you're doing things that are not okay, and as I'm talking, you're saying, okay, this is the lifeline. Grace is available to me right now for this thing. 
because God wants me to forgive and God wants me to act right because <laughs> he's holy. So right now in this place, I just want to pray. Let's have everyone close your eyes for a second here. God, I pray right now for anyone that needs to forgive, God, that you would lead them through that right now, that they would just let go. I just want to encourage you, if you have someone on your heart that you need to release, the Bible says we're forgiven when we forgive. So if you need to let go of something, it will activate a flow of grace in your life when you let go of that offense. So you need to let it go and forgive. And if you're here and you are stuck and you're in sin and you are causing devastation, I want to say, you, you ask God, you say, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Return to me the joy of your salvation. So God, I pray that right now over this room that people would forgive and that people would give their hearts to you again and ask for a new heart. And God, I believe right now that a torrent of grace and mercy and that that plan A is being birthed in this room, that we're not living a plan B, we're living a plan A. In Jesus' name in this room, I pray for a miracle of grace, a torrent of grace in this room in Jesus' name. Amen. So good.